Today's reading is taken from Acts 4, verses 23 to 37. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there was no needy persons among them. From from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Great, thank you very much. Uh, I'm just going to pray for Tim before he shares some of the cool things that he's been having um, in his time in Sri Lanka. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for Tim. I thank you uh, for the um, the way that you've been leading him, uh, particularly over the past few weeks which he spent in Sri Lanka. And I pray that you would be with him as he shares his experiences and that um, we would hear you speaking through him. Amen. Simon. So I'm going to just share um, just a, a few reflections on time in Sri Lanka, a few photos, a few pictures, a few images. And it's interesting, isn't it? Part of the background to me going to Sri Lanka is that I felt um, God had been calling me for a while to go abroad and do some mission stuff and build links. Um, and this sort of opportunity arose. And, it, and you go with a heart to serve, and we took some finances. Matt, can you turn me down a bit? I'm, I'm sounding a bit echoey, a bit loud. Cheers, mates. Um, that kind of wanted to go and be a blessing and we took some resources to kind of bless some churches and pastors out there and the idea was that I was going to go and do some teaching in some children's homes where they rescue street kids, visit some of those projects and also go and teach some pastors out there, connect with some churches and you know, sure enough we got to do some of those things but often it's the way isn't it, you go somewhere to serve but actually you end up coming back with far more than you went with. And if, and actually I felt that God was speaking, had been speaking very strongly to me about us church here in the parish, St. Matt's, um, and the kind of parish ministry here. Um, and it really tied in with things that we experienced and saw out there. And I'm going to reflect just briefly on that tonight. Um, and it's the beginning of a journey for us, I think, and I'm, I'm really excited. Um, the girls read beautifully that passage from Acts 4, and it's a passage 
that has kind of been resonating with me for about uh, the last 18 months and kind of more and more and more and more it just seems to be sort of challenging me, encouraging me and speaking to me. So I want to speak from it tonight because in a sense it matches a little bit about some of the things I experienced in Sri Lanka. Um, I'm going to kind of do that in parallel. So I'm going to very quickly, very very quickly just look at this passage in Acts. To put it in context, um, Peter and John have basically been kind of arrested. They've healed this lame guy, this beggar. Um, uh, it's, the, it's the bit where they ask him, he asks them for money and they say, you know, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this beggar instantly becomes healed. And it causes a real stink for the religious leaders around that area. Um, because they're quite publicly speaking in the name of Jesus. And this isn't long after Jesus has been crucified, um, has risen. Uh, the Christians are growing. 400 people have seen Jesus. Many of them have eaten with him. They've heard him, spoken with him. So there's this growing group of Christians going around talking about this resurrected Jesus. And they seem to have real power and real amazing influence. And many, many, many people... Um, are becoming Christians, uh, and you know they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a boldness on them. There's this sense of kind of incredible energy and life with them, and they're sharing their faith really publicly. So they get arrested and they get threatened. Basically, they get told to shut up. You've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. What? Why are you doing this anyway? They're challenged, and there's that really key verse. It's really important for us as Christians. We hold on to this verse, uh, verse twelve. It says this uh, just before we heard read. Verse 12 from chapter 4. Salvation, um, Paul, uh, Peter says, is found in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Because they're saying, well, why are you talking in this name Jesus? Why do you keep going on about this Jesus? And they say, well, because salvation isn't found in anyone else. That's why our Christmas message is really important. We're not just singing nice carols and having a good time. We as church believe that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that salvation is found in no one else. And he was really bold to say that. He was in, in prison at the time. He was being threatened. He didn't know what the consequences was. But instead of shutting up, as they'd been told to, they were like, it bubbled out of them. They couldn't stop it. Um, it says a little bit later on, um, verse 17, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. You know, there is a pressure, I think, in these days on Christians to kind of dumb down Christianity, to dumb down... I've just spotted Catherine at the back. Catherine Vaughan! Hello. It's a very lovely Catherine. Nice to see you. Sorry, everybody. If you don't know Catherine, everyone, this is Catherine. Catherine, this is everyone. Fellow vicar, lovely to see you back in the city. Um... We're often told to dumb down on Christianity. You know, I was talking with a church leader the other day and he was saying, and, I, and I've said this here before, that sometimes we as Christians, we, we, we can talk about God. You know, what did you do on Sunday? I, I went to worship church. Oh, do you believe in God? Oh, uh, yeah, I believe in God. But dropping the J-bomb, as I call it, is often quite a big deal. What were you doing at church on Sunday? I was worshipping uh, God. Oh, okay. Actually... Next time I challenge you, when someone says, what were you doing? Oh, you, you believe in God? Yeah, yeah, I worship Jesus. Dropping that J-bomb. Why is it so hard? We find it so hard to name Jesus. Well, because I think there's power in the name Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. There's power in the name of Jesus. And so they tell them 
to stop not talking about God, not talking about religion. They tell them to stop talking about who? About Jesus. That's why Alpha is really important, because actually we talk about Jesus. We talk about who is Jesus? Why did Jesus die? What's the big deal about Jesus? And it's really important that we do that. That's who we want to honour. You know what they say when they're told, you just shut up, dumb down this stuff, stop talking about this Christianity nonsense, you need to stop. And I think we live in days where the political elite often would rather, the humanist voice would rather we stop talking about faith, particularly stop talking about Jesus. We can talk about God, but if you start talking about Jesus, you sound like a fanatic. But what's their response when they're told to stop talking? It says, verse 20, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. I really like that. I think there's a couple of things there. There's a boldness in them. They've got to talk about it. But they're not talking about something they'd learned years ago. They're not talking about some inherited kind of faith. They're talking about what they've seen and heard. And for us, in our faith, my challenge is, what, what are you seeing of the kingdom? What, what are you hearing of the kingdom right now? Not, not what did you see at Soul Survival or Momentum or Spring Harvest 1998 or, you know, what, what did you see 25 years ago? What, what are you seeing of the kingdom bubbling around you now? Because there's power in testimony. There's power in what we've seen and heard, whether it's in church or in other places, because it's real truth and it's life. And for these guys, they can't stop talking about Jesus because they've seen incredible things, even in the midst of pain. So that's kind of the background to where they're coming from. There's this miracle of healing, there's a supernatural outbreak, and instantly there's a reaction against it. And so when spiritual things happen in church or outside of church, whether it's healing on the streets, down in town, and people getting healed, there's often a spiritual backlash. So when healing on the streets started having people being healed, suddenly people were complaining about the Christians down there, they shouldn't be praying for people. Which is kind of a bit of a weird thought, isn't it? You shouldn't be healing people. (laughs) Okay. Uh, and there's a backlash. Because often when supernatural stuff breaks out, there's a backlash. And sometimes, if we're honest, even within our own hearts and in our own lives, sometimes when we go somewhere and there's a spiritual temperature turned up, sometimes we react with uncomfortableness or disconcertedness because there's sometimes a battle going on in our head and our heart and the enemy wants to steal the good news and truth from us. They're told to be silent, but they can't. In fact, they go on and we hear their prayer. I love the prayer that they pray. They say this, Lord, consider their threats. So they're praying, Lord, these people who are speaking out against us and they're threatening us. They're not just men about us, but they want to lock us up. They want to silence us. They want to imprison us. And they don't say, Lord, will you please silence them? Please, will you, will you, will you take them out? Will you help us to be free? Actually, I love their prayer. Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. It's interesting, isn't it? They don't pray for those threats to be silenced. They just pray that the response is boldness within them to speak even more loudly. I wonder if that's how you would have prayed, or I would have prayed. I suspect I would have been prayed, Lord, will you please silence the threats? They don't even go after that. They just say, God, will you enable us by your Holy Spirit to speak more boldly? Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. Because it's powerful. Those signs and wonders speak volumes. So the first thing is, there's threats, there's pressure against them. But their response is, in the face of hatred and anger, we're going to love. We're going to speak with more boldness and we're going to speak out truth. The second thing to notice in this passage is that it's not just a human response. Um, It says in verse 31, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and spoke the word of God boldly. So they got the answer to their prayer. Lord, please, Father, recognize these threats. Lord, would you give us boldness? And boom, the Holy Spirit comes and goes, yeah, I want to bless that. I want to enable you to be bold. And so they get filled with the Holy Spirit and they're emboldened. They don't respond with human strategy or plans. There's nothing wrong with plans and strategies. But actually what they really long for is more of the Holy Spirit to do the stuff, as John Wimber used to put it. They need the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit in these days to be bold so that we can see signs and wonders and that we can do what God wants us to do. It's not just about speaking out and preaching, is it? Sometimes it's preaching with our deeds and acts and we need the Holy Spirit for that. So that's the second thing. We need his... So the first thing is, in the face of difficulty, let's pray for boldness. The second thing is, let's allow ourselves to experience the reality of it because that's not just an empty prayer. It's something that God wants to fulfill. He gives them power and he wants to give us power. And then here's the third thing. And this is the, the bit of the passage that for me over the last 18 months God's been speaking to me about so much. All the believers were one in heart and mind. I wonder what that would look like in a city if every single believer in this city was one in heart and mind. Do you think that's possible? I think it's what Jesus prays for when he prays that you might all be one. We might all be one. So whether it's Whitcomb Baptist or whether it's... Uh, Holy Trinity came down or whether it's the Abbey or whether it's some of the central churches the United Reformed Churches or the Baptist Churches or the Free Churches or Freedom or BCC may we be one believers were one in heart and mind but actually we don't just pray for that kind of out there and hope for it what we want to do what we call to I believe is model it here amongst us and that's what we see that's what I see in this community increasingly a sense of what it means to be one heart and mind that's what we're longing for family and community. And a, a manifestation of that, this is where it gets a bit more scary maybe, in the next part of that verse, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Ooh, sounds a bit like communism, doesn't it? I don't know if any of you have ever experienced living kind of in that sort of community. Um, by the way, those of you that are married, or those of you that might be married, or perhaps would like to get married, that's part of the deal that you bring everything together maybe one party brings all their debts <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other part brings maybe some of their assets you bring what you have you bring your possessions you bring your heart you bring your life and um, in a marriage those things come together and and hopefully they're not yours anymore they're yours together as one well. now i'm not suggesting in a moment we're all going to put our car keys in the middle and we're going to go and stick them all on Amazon, and we're going to cash them all in. We get a lot more for marks than mine, probably. (laughs) That's not what it's saying. It's a heart response, saying, well, can we be the type of people where we hold things really lightly and say, you know what, if you have need, maybe I can meet some of that need. Maybe we can share resources. Maybe we can be one, and where we see need, we can help facilitate that need. And I'm so grateful in this church we do do that. I see that incredible, incredible generosity. It's beautiful. So how does this all fit in with Sri Lanka? There's a picture that was taken in Sri Lanka. This is to help you stay conscious and awake. Uh, this is in a place called Candy. Um, I just, I got, I like that photo because I know you all thought I was sitting on a beach getting really suntanned. Uh, as you can see, when I go, it's kind of going into the monsoon region, uh, monsoon season in, in um, Candy and in, in Sri Lanka. Do you know where Sri Lanka is? 
No one will say yes in case you're wrong, do you? Yeah, so if you kind of um, think of Africa and go across, and you have India, and you have the kind of Indian going down like that, and right at the bottom on the right is this kind of looks like a teardrop. That's Sri Lanka. Beautiful, beautiful country, subtropical. Um, and I went flew to Colombo. Colombo is the capital, and then we drove to Kandy on these really hairy roads. It took like three and a half hours through monsoon rain. Um, and Kandy is pretty much smack in the middle of the country. Um, very uh, uh, Buddhist and Hindu, lots of temples there. In fact, um, there's a very famous temple in Kandy. You can go and see Buddha's tooth, if that interests you. I suppose if you're a dentist, it might interest you. It's actually, you can't actually see Buddha's tooth because it's actually in a box, and no one's ever seen it, but allegedly there's a tooth in it, which is Buddha's tooth, and people travel from all over the world to go and not see Buddha's tooth. So that's a massive temple right into it. And what's quite funny is right next to that temple, there's an Anglican church, which just looks so like an Anglican church. Um, but that's right in the middle. Can you stick the next picture up? That's another picture of a palm tree in Sri Lanka. Next one. <laughs> okay. So some of you might think, think, when you think of Sri Lanka, what do you think of? Tea. So these are um, two. This is Macwoods. Um, so... One day we drove up into the mountains through a tea plantation to get to an orphanage, a uh, nursery that we went to. A really horrible, bendy journey if you're car sick. Oh my. Uh, we got there in about two and a half hours. But we went through this beautiful tea plantation. It's tough living for these guys who work in these tea plantations and many of the Christian organisations are trying to minister to the people who work on the hillsides. But it's spectacularly beautiful. Okay, next one. There they are, working on the hillside, little dots picking and they work hours and hours and hours and hours uh, and it's tough, tough living. Okay, next one. So, why did we go to Sri Lanka? Well, this uh, couple on the right, George and Rani, they're church pastors. They've been in, in Sri Lanka for many, many years ministering. Um, George is from a um, Tamil background. If you know anything about Sri Lanka, it's, it was a British colony, so lots of people have ludicrously British, British names, like George, um, and speak English. Some of them as a first language, and actually George and Rani at home speak English as a, as a first language. He's been running a, a church gathering of Christians. There's incredible persecution against many of the Christians there, um, particularly if you're from a Tamil background. Uh, most of the persecution um, comes from the Buddhist priests, Many Christians being beaten, um, their houses set fire, driven out of their villages, particularly when the villagers become Christians, it's often very, very violent. And these guys have planted a church in Candy that's got a beautiful, lovely congregation. Um, and they, they kind of, it's wonderful stories of people becoming Christians. Met one chap who was a Buddhist, um, he described himself as kind of working with a Buddhist priest as a witch doctor in the village. And one night he had a vision of Jesus. Uh, totally out of the blue and became a Christian and then loads of people in the village became a Christian because of his testimony and then he was basically beaten up and driven out of the village by the, the Buddhist priests and he's now helping to run a church George here has been doing incredible ministry serving in Candy and drawing different church leaders together pastors together so I went and spoke with Paul Wakeley at this conference these church leaders and this building on the right this beautiful building he had a plot of land at the back of the house where they live and they started recognising there were loads of street kids, particularly girls who had been kicked out, um, who had been abused, orphans. And they just started bringing them in and the home wasn't big enough. So he built a house, this beautiful place at the back, where they house these girls now. The council, the local authorities send them girls and they look after these girls and share faith with them. Can you hit the next one for me, please? That's, another, that's the front view of it. It's 
enormous. It's absolutely enormous, this place. It's incredible. In the middle of this kind of quite tough area. This is Jerry, Isabel and Kristen. This is a beautiful couple. This is actually George's son, Jerry, who worked for um, uh, Emirates Airlines in Abu Dhabi. Very well-paid job. Um, his wife, Isabel, from, Sh- uh, from Singapore. Basically, he's left that job and come back to help plant churches in um, Candy. Their beautiful daughter, Kristen. A lovely, lovely couple. And this particular family who have given up all of their money, given up all their li- just living on the savings from this company where he works at Emirates and are very well paid and works in Dubai. Um, this is a family who I hope we're, we're church we're going to start adopting uh, and uh, helping support financially because they're doing incredible work reaching out to some of these villages, helping church plant, but also helping these girls encounter Jesus who have had the most appalling, appalling backgrounds. As George is kind of old and retiring, this is kind of the next generation of leaders coming through leading the church there and it's really exciting. We spoke to them about church planting. Um, within a week after we'd gone back, I discovered they'd planted a church. Stuff moves quite quickly out there and they've already gathered people with them and it's really exciting what's happening. These are some of the girls who uh, we prayed for at the home terrible stories some of them I mean many of them um, they were street children uh, thrown out when they were young abused every sort of abuse imaginable and then worse than you could imagine we heard some of their stories and we had the privilege over three nights of ministering to these girls sharing praying with them the majority of them already become Christians and what's remarkable about these girls is none of these kids kind of watch YouTube clips of kind of American evangelists or any of that sort of stuff but we would stand at the front and I, I was speaking on worship and on pastoral stuff and, and we would start worshipping and these girls would just start to worship and you'd see them just radiating and um, you'd go to pray with them and they were just fum, 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 on the floor being filled with the Holy Spirit with such remarkable ease you think, well, why God's Spirit was so powerfully there that God was going ahead because these girls and the community they were part of, who many of them were under threat, were saying, Lord, amongst all this persecution against us, Lord, will you embolden us to speak the name of Jesus? And God's Spirit goes, yeah, I'd love to. And so these girls were just filled and being healed and transformed. And you speak to them, and they want to serve God as doctors or teachers or medics. I met one girl, one of the girls, who's not in this picture, she's um, 16. And I said to her, and most of them speak some English, some of them speak really good English. And I said to her, well, I thought she spoke a bit of English, so what do you want to do? She said, I would like to be an English elocution teacher. She spoke way better English than me, because I mean, her education level is incredible for some of these girls. And she's come from a horrendous background. And, this, and she said, and I want... I want to share about Jesus with people as I'm doing that, to share the good news I've experienced. Amazing. So this is community of believers. There's Paul there. This is on a Sunday morning when we, we've been doing a mini-conference with church pastors. Most of the guys here you see are church pastors. They all came in from the villages, and some of them have big churches, some of them have small churches, and they all came in. Um, i got a video of everyone worshipping. It's crazy. So we would worship, I'd worship lead, and we'd do it in English, and then in Tamil, then um, Sinhalese, which is Sri Lankan language. And they're all worshipping all these different languages. It's incredible. That's Pastor George, who a year ago died. should say that as well. He had a heart attack, went into a coma, and uh, basically they thought he was going to die, pretty much. And um, as you can see, he's not dead. 
amazing miracle of his coming back because God wants to still finish the work that he'd started before he finally goes home. The thing I talk about people having things in common, this is a lovely family I met from the church. He is Tamil. The Tamil Christians there have quite a tough, you might have some of the old ones have heard about the Tamil Tigers, there's quite a divide racially in the country. He was Tamil and Tamils are still seen as outsiders and certainly Tamil Christians get a really tough deal. He had, a, he had this house built in the middle of this, it's like jungle, we drove to the middle of the jungle, he had a house and there's a plot of land next door. And off his own bat, he hadn't told anyone about it, he bought the land and he's built that, which is building a prayer house so they can pray 24-7. And he's going to have a bridge from his house that just goes into the roof of that so that he can come night and day and just go and pray. No one even knew about it. And while we were there, he, we asked him what was his dreams and he sort of welled up and through a translator said, well, I've I built this prayer house that I want to give to the church and give to God's kingdom. He's just financed that himself. He's a, he's a businessman, quite an entrepreneur really, and he's kind of got a bit of money and he's put, poured it into this. And at the top... There's a prayer, going to have a prayer room, big prayer room, and underneath is a small dwelling, and he's going to let Christians, uh, particularly Tamil Christians who can't get rented accommodation, he's going to let them come and live there. Because it's really hard if you're, if you're a convert to Christianity, often you can't get accommodation. And there's something that has captured these people's heart, because they kind of have virtually nothing. You know, you go and visit them, and you're in a kind of, a really simple room with a, with a kind of mud floor, and they're there, and uh, it's a very simple life. And yet they're giving with such generosity, saying, I want to give this for God's kingdom because something's captured me, been captured by Jesus. And I so love him, I want to just give my everything. So his wife and his two children are uh, uh, part of that project. It's incredible. So they're building this prayer room. So we'll be praying for them as they literally pray the finances in to just build this incredible building he's building. Next one. Um, it's chopped the top off, but it talks about that this is one charity that we visited, Cal, which is looking to free up the generation, to kind of empower the next generation to live their dreams. It's a beautiful charity. And we visited many of their projects. This was a charity that was birthed through a prophetic word, this young woman called Debbie, who about 10 years ago had a prophetic word that she would serve children, that she'd have a voice in the nation and she would talk to kings and queens. And she was like, what? She was, I think she was 17 at the time and she thought, you're having a laugh. Now she probably has about nine different projects, probably looks after about four or five hundred children in Sri Lanka. I think two years ago she was asked to speak at the House of Lords in Britain to explain how on earth she's managed to do this project. She says, I don't know, it's just, just Jesus, isn't it? And she's doing this beautiful thing where they're taking street children, off the, the children from prostitutes, people from addicts, these children are being kicked out, and they're taking them into these homes... They're feeding them, they're educating them, they're loving them, and somehow money is coming in. I think I've got a picture. There's a picture of one of their day centres. Little children, they'll have a little sleep in the afternoon. We went there one day, and all these street kids, they get fed, they get taught, they have a little sleep in the afternoon. If you've got a heart for kids, you might want to go and visit them, but you might never come home if you go, because it's amazing. So that's one of the projects that's happening. In Colombo we went to here, um, the church wanted to kind of reach out. And they thought, we've been doing church for a few years and it's great and people come and gather, but actually there's a whole world out there. So they've bought this, rented this enormous building, they've done it up and they've planted a coffee shop. And this is their coffee shop. And they have a coffee shop at the front, which is amazing. They play Bethel music the whole time. Bethel without words. And people in the national newspapers are writing and doing reference saying, what is this music? It's the most incredible music I've ever heard in a coffee shop. 
they have prayer rooms at the back because sometimes after people come in for a bit, businessmen, all sorts of other people, they have opportunities to share and they're going to take them out the back and they go and pray for them. People book in now. There's a Buddhist lady while we were there who's coming back for a second time of prayer. Um, she's asked, she and her husband now want to go to, or actually started going to, the, to their church on the back of coming and being prayed for in the name of Jesus in this prayer room. Because they're experiencing the reality of the kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. They've also got a, a child centre in Colombo, uh, which you can put the next slide up, um, with these beautiful girls. This is the centre. They bought a house and they converted it. They're rescuing, literally rescuing street children and putting them in this house. Got a photo of them. That's them. This is run by a couple, couple called Dilly and Asher. These kids are amazing. We have got a video. We can't get it to work. They're singing um, some worship songs in English. They're just hysterical. And they're amazing, amazing children. Really, really beautiful children who... Um, if you would like to sponsor a child, we can sponsor these ones because they're being educated. And that couple you just saw, Dilly and Asher, they're paying for their education on their own. And I reckon maybe we could partner with them to help sponsor these children to be educated. They're being educated in a Christian school, um, and so they're paying for a Christian education for them. The home is taken care of, the teachers are taken care of, but they have to pay for the education at the moment, they're paying for that. So if you're particularly interested in sponsoring a child, we've visited these, I'm actually building bridges with them, so there's a particular link. Then if, you, if you're thinking about doing that, come and talk to me, because we'd love to see these girls sponsored through the next five, ten years of their education. Okay, keep going. Nearly there. And that's the team in Colombo. Uh, the couple, a uh, lady on the right, I don't know, where's she gone? Lady in the middle, the chap, chap with the stripes shirt is called Dilly, and to the, his right is Usher. Dilly is a businessman, but he's running this coffee shop and running this church. His passion is business, and he's generating income, and he's pouring it into church projects and missions. But the thing that they've experienced, and I want to kind of finish with this, is that when I was out there, thinking about church here. I kept meeting these people and they keep saying, you know, church is fine and we want to gather together, but actually we kind of sense that the days of just doing church are done. We've done church in Sri Lanka, you know, for 20, 30 years. It's been good. But actually the young generation are coming through this thing, I, I want to be a businessman, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to be a musician, I want to, but I want, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a plumber, I want to be an elocution lesson teacher. Or, but, but I want to do it for Jesus. I want to see the kingdom come in those places. And actually, church is just a great place to celebrate and bring people back. But the main stuff is happening is out there. And these guys, they're already doing it. People are getting saved out there. And I see the same thing in England. I hear the same sound of the Spirit saying, church is great, but church is not about supposed to be a building. It's supposed to be about a people. You're not supposed to do church. You're supposed to be church. And for the last few decades in England, we've been more busy about trying to do church, do services, rather than the main thing, which is be church, and out of that flows services and life. So in the coming few weeks and months, I want to change us from being church to transform us into an apostolic community. I haven't got time to say what that is particularly, but it's where the person and presence of the Holy Spirit is evident where people, apostles, are sent ones, where we are sent into the community, into the workplaces, onto the school gates. We recognise that we're sent and empowered to speak boldly, that we reach out and we see God's kingdom come. Because God's spirit is on the move. 
It's more about attitude rather than structure. It's about realizing that we're one in heart and mind and we're going to share things together and we're going to move forward as a body and see God's kingdom come. It's more spiritual than physical. It's not necessarily about a building, although buildings are useful, but it's more about our own hearts and our own journey to say, I want to see God's kingdom come while I'm working, in my family, in my streets. And I think it's a a vision of being radical, understanding that we're sent And to say that we as church, and when I say church I mean as a body of believers, we're committed to producing more than we consume. See, church is often about consuming. I go to worship, I go to hear the Bible, I go to have fun, I go to, you know, whatever it may be. And all of that's fine. But sometimes that's where it can end. Whereas church was always supposed to, if you read Acts, be about being sent out and transforming community and transforming society and reaching the lost and seeing miracles and seeing the dead raised up and the blind seeing again. So God wants us to produce more than we consume and I'm excited because I sense that's what God is doing here amongst us. The church is sent to release people in the world, not simply to maintain a local building or a service. So we're going to be creative and innovative and, who knows, prayer rooms, coffee rooms. We're already thinking about how we can transform this building so it's more of an apostolic centre where people can be sent out, where entrepreneurs can come in and dream and work and think big and uh, maybe different Christian charities can be blessed through this building and through the space where people can be welcomed into the coffee room and prayed for and all sorts of ideas. We want to hear your ideas and your stuff. But it starts, I think and ends with an encounter with God. And we're going to ha- have communion. Just before we do that, I'm going to invite Ellie to come on up. And she said, Dad, can we sit down when we do this? So we're going to look very kind of cool and sit on these stools. Hello, Ellie. Hi. Um, this is Ellie. This is my lovely daughter. I know I look too young to have a daughter that old. That's what you're all thinking. That's not what they're thinking. Okay. Um, so, I've asked Ellie to come and just share a little bit, just as I finish, before we just have communion and finish, because um, I think a key to seeing God do what he's doing is allowing ourselves to open up to his spirit. And many of us have experienced that at times, and some of us want it but haven't, some of us don't want it, and all the, we're on a whole sort of journey. A few weeks back, the Arnott's came, Carol and John Arnott, some of you may know and heard of them. And it was an interesting night. I spent the weekend and we saw God do amazing things in many, many lives. And some of them were really exciting and some of them were quite challenging. Um, I think it's probably quite hard being a vicar's daughter. Is that true? Slightly. <laughs> Ellie's really, really good. Um, but I, I reckon it, it's not always easy having a dad who works full-time for God. And being around church. So you've kind of grown up with church culture all your life. Yeah. Um, so... I'm friends with a lot of non-Christians, so sometimes that can be quite hard if they ask questions or they don't understand about his job or they don't agree with it. So sometimes it can be hard, but sometimes it's an opportunity as well to share about what he does and what can happen. So you kind of been part of St. Matt's now for a couple of years since we planted it, really, and started coming in the evenings. And I know you really enjoy, enjoy the community and enjoy the kind of sense of family and stuff here. Has, it, has some mats here felt different from other church for you? <laughs> um, yeah, so when we had our previous youth worker sub, it was a complete change to what I've had in different churches. Um, kind of taught us more about 
um, church like now as opposed to in the past so how like it's relevant now um, and that was really good for me and my manager <laughs> the originals um, yeah it was it was good but it's fair to say probably when night when Carol and John were coming Sir, Mum and I had talked about it and we said we knew them and we'd seen amazing things happen in the past you kind of came on that night feeling, feeling what? Tired. Tired. You not particularly looking forward to the service? Um, not really. So I just done DOV, so I had lots of blisters, and I also had a throat infection as well because I get bad tonsils quite frequently. So I wasn't really planning on coming, but Mum and Dad had kind of persuaded me because I knew I'd wanted to come for a long time. So I powered through. <laughs> Now, I was leading worship that night, and there was just a moment where, obviously, people were coming forward for prayer and all stuff going on, and I suddenly looked up, and I suddenly saw you at the front. Um, and me being a great man of faith that I am, I was really surprised to see you right at the front. And I, I, I'm not, I wasn't sure, sure what had connected from something to get you there. So, can you just say me what happened to you? First of all, are you right at the back? Typical teenager. Right, oh, right at the back. And then suddenly you're, right, suddenly you're right at the front. So what, what was going on for you? Why did you go forward? So in the past I've seen people um, feel the Holy Spirit and my mum and dad. I've seen my dad fall over onto the floor. Um, sometimes I've seen people shake and cry. And sometimes you have kind of like a bit of doubt in you and you're like, are they exaggerating? Like, are they getting a bit carried away? If people are like shaking, are they doing it themselves? And I, but when you see people falling over, you're kind of like, no, this must be like something. And I remember that night, I was just feeling so tired, but something, when I saw people crying and laughing, I was like, oh, I want a bit of that. <laughs> Where can I get it? And um, they were like, come to the front, stand up if you want this. And I was feeling like nervous because I'm quite a shy person. Don't really like speaking in front of people or being at the front, <laughs> like I'm doing now. Um, but I was like, I want this. So I came up to the front feeling very nervous. But instantly I just felt so calm. And um, I don't really remember who it was or what was really going on. But I remember someone putting their hand on me. And I instantly started shaking like so much. And like not the kind of shaking you do by yourself. But uncontrollably like I can't even do it now like it was just all over my body and I remember at one point I had to sit down because I was just shaking so much that I could fall over and then I started crying and then I started laughing so it was kind of all of the different emotions like I remember like any hurt or like anger that was like deep inside that I'd been like holding on to it kind of just all like came out of me and in replacement with that was just like a feeling of like love and peace and I was just so calm and like happy and I remember I just could not stop laughing and after the service even when I was going home I was still laughing I just couldn't stop people in the street were probably wondering what was going on as I was walking home but it was just such an overwhelming feeling and it was just amazing that's brilliant thank you Ellie for sharing that I know it's hard to come and do that let's give a round of applause The reason I got Ellie to share that is, I guess that night she came with no expectation particularly, um, and yet there's a hunger in her and in many in that generation that has got to be more than just church. Actually, I've known obviously Ellie for well since she was born, um, and 
I've seen in Ellie and in many of her peers that kind of just been brought up in church, or those that haven't been brought up in church, but there's got to be more than just church. Now, it's not just about a buzz for the Holy Spirit, but there's a thirst for spiritual reality and to see God's kingdom come outside of this building. And I think that's what God's doing by his spirit. He's stirring us and saying, I want to release you to be apostolic. Apostolic as in sent. Whether you're a student, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a mum on the school gate or a dad on the school gate, or you work at home from a business, God wants to send you with the power of his spirit so that you're fruitful in those spheres and that you can change the atmosphere, the culture where you are. But we have to, like Ellie did, she made the decision to come forward. Actually, I, I want something. I'm tired. I'm really fed up, a bit cheesed off. My feet hurt, but actually I'm going to go because there's something over there that I want. So I want to pray for us. We're going to have communion. We're going to close a bit of worship just in the next five minutes. I want to pray for us that this will be the beginning of a journey for us to say, Lord, is there more? Is there more that you're calling me to? And is it a part of this community? Maybe you're calling me to step out in this community to understand what it means to be family, not just to come as an attender to church, but to think, how can I give? How can I serve? How can I be called and find the destiny that's written over my life? As I know many of you already have. We want to journey in that together and pray together that we can walk forward into the things that we have. Sri Lanka is going to be um, a permanent feature in the connection between Whitcomb and uh, Candy, particularly that first place. We're going to start sending teams and if you would like to think about going out to Sri Lanka and going and connecting some of the children's homes, going and working some of these church plants that are beginning to be there, see some of these kind of amazing prayer houses that are being built and all sorts of other things, then we'd love to do that. We want to start saying teams quite quickly. And we go to learn. That's the truth. I came back having learned far more than, when, than, I, than I offered. Let's share communion together.